Father, your, your word is, is rich and wonderful, and through it um, you reveal yourself, you reveal who you are, and you reveal your Son, uh, our Lord Jesus. And we just uh, thank you for Matthew's Gospel. We thank you for this wonderful um, chapter today that we're going to look at. We pray that uh, you would soften our hearts uh, to hear your word and just encourage us in it uh, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Thanks, Jess. Uh, well, another fantastic passage to sink ourselves into today. Um, but before we get to the passage, we're going to think about royal tours. Uh, royal tours, you expect lots of pomp. Has anyone actually experienced a royal tour? Uh, have you sort of been in the crowds, been looking via? Yeah, we've got some over here. Yes, a few people. Uh, it's a photo up here of the Queen uh, just after her big moment, her coronation, at her tour of Australia back in the 50s. I think in 1954, is that right? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so there you go. Lots of pomp. Anyone there? 
Uh, anyone from... Uh, she came to Adelaide too, yep. Yep, they're very good. Uh, so you expect lots of, um, you can see all the people gathered around, you expect lots of sort of energy and, and ceremony and pomp. Uh, there's another one here uh, from Sydney, the, uh, one of the main streets in Sydney. You can see the crowds lining the streets. Uh, she had her big moments and then went on her big tour, the public kind of um, first moment of her being in the world as the Queen. Well, here in Matthew chapter 4, we've just had the, a huge moment back in chapter 3. If you remember it from last week, uh, the baptism of Jesus where um, uh, the Father declared to his Son as the Spirit descended on him, you are my Son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Um, the one who John the Baptist was preparing people for, the Lord of Isaiah 40, the Lord of Malachi 4, that's all from last week if you remember, Jesus has been, he's, he's sort of had his big moments and this, this expectations building and you expect a big splash and then what do you get? Well, chapter 4 verse 1, chapter 4 verse 1 says this, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I kind of wonder what the people at his baptism thought about that. Um, the king is here. The one that we've been waiting for, longing for, the one that all history has been leading to. He's here. And now he's not. <laughs> he goes into the desert of all places. And for over a month, it seems like this one who's just had this huge public introduction to the world is nowhere to be found. He goes silent. He goes quiet. It's like he's just disappeared. He goes into a place like this. This is an actual picture of the Judean desert. Uh, not exactly the place you'd expect someone to go after their big public moments, after the dramatic events of chapter 3. But of course, there's more going on. There's more going on, of course. Uh, he doesn't just wander into the wilderness to have some alone time, a bit of an introvert moment like some of us like to have. Um, no, the same spirit who descended on him in his baptism, do you notice how that, uh, that spirit, uh, he leads Jesus into the wilderness. And that should it should give us a heads up that what's going on here is actually a really big deal. Uh, this scene from Jesus' life, you find it in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and, and they all sort of record it right at the start of Jesus' public ministry. And they want us to understand that what, uh, what, Jesus, it, it, what Jesus is on about. So if you want to know what Jesus is on about, this is really key. So, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness in verse 1. And he, did you notice he leads him with a purpose? With a purpose. And it's a bizarre one. The Spirit sent from the Father leads the Son into the wilderness to be tempted. To be tempted by the devil. Uh, if you've got an NIV or another Bible, you might have a footnote there that says that word tempted can also mean tested. Uh, it's uh, the, the same word, kind of can hold those two different ideas in the original language. And both of them seem to be sort of at play here. Uh, it's not just attempting to do the wrong thing. It's a test that's going on here. This is a trial, a, a, a test. So what's going on? Uh, why, why does Jesus go this? Why do the gospel writers make such a big deal of this? Well, Matthew, the way Matthew puts his gospel together is meant to show us something really important. 
But the worldview of the Bible is, is clear that there's a presence of evil in this world that's, that's deeper than just you, your and my bad choices. Um, it's deeper than that. It's not just about our mistake. There are dark spiritual forces that are, that are, they are in some way connected to our own human darkness and selfishness and pride. We're not just passive victims of this force outside of us. We are responsible for our own sin and darkness. But at the same time as that, humanity is caught up, humanity is caught up in something larger than ourselves. We are enslaved in, to the kingdom of darkness. We are following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Phrases that you get used through the New Testament. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That roaring lion that Peter talks about, who's looking for someone to devour. The father of lies that Jesus talks about, who will do anything to tempt and deceive and draw people into his hate and away from the love of God. So what this account of Jesus in the wilderness is meant to show us is that central to what Jesus came to do was to deal with that great spiritual enemy, to defeat it, to destroy the devil in all his destructive influence and power. And, um, as it turns out, as you read through Matthew's Gospel, Jesus does that fully and decisively at the cross in, in his resurrection. But right here at the start of his public ministry, he wins this decisive battle. He wins a decisive battle over Satan. And at the heart of what Satan's doing here through all these temptations, at the heart of it is he's, he's trying to tempt Jesus to doubt God's goodness to him and to doubt God's word to him. To doubt that his father really is good and trustworthy. Uh, and as, you, as we read through, did you notice that um, Satan focuses on uh, the first two of these temptations? They focus on Jesus being the Son of God. Uh, so, verse two: After forty days, after fasting forty days and forty nights, understatement of the year, he was hungry. <laughs> uh, the tempter came to him and said. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Then down in verse 5, uh, the devil takes him to the holy city and has him stand on the highest point of the temple and says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Uh, and then for, a special, for extra measure, he quotes the Bible at Jesus. Uh, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you're, you will not strike your foot against a stone. He quotes a psalm there. But you see what he's doing. Uh, God has just, what has God just declared about Jesus in his baptism? You are my, my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And the, the tempter comes and wants to place, he tries to place this doubt in Jesus' mind. He uses it, he twists it and said, oh, well, if you're really God's son, would he, would he want you to be going hungry right now? If you're really God's son, well, prove it. Prove it in front of the world by uh, jumping off the temple and getting God to catch you in this spectacular miracle. 
Uh, and then Jesus Jesus um, passes those tests, but then you notice the, this, the, notice the third one, the devil goes just for raw power. He, it's an appeal to power. He shows him the kingdoms of the world, presumably uh, in a vision. And then he says in verse 9, basically he says, Worship me and I will give you power like you've never dreamed of. So here's this, this test that Jesus faces. And how does he respond? Well, each time he responds, he responds to the devil by going back to God's word. At each point, he casts himself on his father's word. At each point, he trusts his father and not this tempter. Uh, he quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy which is another link to that Exodus story that uh, is in the background here. Uh, Deuteronomy is set when Israel is in the wilderness. And and here's Jesus, the perfect son of God, Israel's Messiah, reliving Israel's story. And where they fail, he triumphs. But there's there's just so many layers to this story. (laughs) It's like you, you just can't get to the end of it. There's so many layers. There's another echo here. Uh, There's another time this tempter called God's children to turn away from him, to doubt his good word, to doubt his goodness, that he really loved them. Another time this tempter appealed to their appetites and their desire for power. And that's another kind of, there's another episode in the Bible's uh, account that's meant to be ringing in our ears here. It's on page three. Page three of the Bible, right back in in the garden. It's Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they also hear the tempter's voice, don't they? And what do they do? They fail the test. You see, what Jesus is doing, he's not just redoing Israel's story. Uh, Jesus is redoing the story of humanity. He's coming as, as he's the truly human, human, the one, the, the second Adam. He's kicking off a whole new way of being human, a new humanity. See, ever since the first, ever since Adam and Eve, we've turned from trusting God to trusting ourselves, from living under God's good rule to wanting to set up our own little kingdoms over ourselves, with ourselves in charge. That's the story of humanity. That's the story of you and me outside of Jesus. That's the story of humanity until, until the light shone into this darkness. Uh, which is the next part of what Matthew goes on to talk about. Uh, Jesus has won this decisive victory over Satan. He's kicked off his mission to bring about this new humanity who no longer turn from God, but who trust God and obey him, who don't live in slavery to darkness, but who have been moved into this kingdom of love and light and life, a people who trust and obey God. And then he does another surprising thing. Uh, he hears, In verse 12, he hears John's in prison. Uh, John was the herald to the king, and now that his job's done, uh, the, it's the, the, the king's turn, the time for the king to act. And Jesus, what does he do? He again withdraws, not into the wilderness, but uh, up north. There's a map on the screen, there should be, uh, uh, of the kind of area that Jesus is in at the moment. You might not be able to make out all the, all the details. Um, down the south is Jerusalem, which is like the, 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 the capital city, the center of faith and life. And sort of around there is where probably Jesus was being tempted by the devil. He goes back up north, though, 
to these backwater towns scattered around the Lake of Galilee up the north. Uh, he goes, he, he goes to uh, away from the kind of centre of power, if you like. And again, this is all intentional. It's all, in, it's all intentional, and, and it ties into. Remember, if you were here last year when we looked at the Book of Isaiah, uh, it ties into that. Remember how Isaiah told um, how God would judge Israel because of their continued and persistent rejection of Him. Uh, they, he'd send the nation of Assyria to come and. Um, uh, to ex- execute his judgment, they would wipe them out. Um, but then, if you remember Isaiah 9, uh, Isaiah looks ahead to this new day. And in that very area where Assyria would first come, the, the north of Israel up there, in that very area where God's judgment would fall on Israel, now, uh, well, uh, the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, verse 16 the people living in darkness have seen a great light. That was the promise of Isaiah. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Um, it, later in Isaiah 9, Isaiah went on to talk about this one who would appear, who would be the perfect eternal king, who'd sit, sit on David's throne uh, upholding the, this kingdom with justice and righteousness forever. So it, Jesus goes intentionally to this place. It's no accident. He goes intentionally to fulfill this, to say to the world, he is the light. He's the one, the son that was given. He's that one who we celebrated at Christmas, wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father. Prince of Peace. He's the king that Isaiah looked forward to. And basically what you get throughout the rest of chapter 4 is this king beginning to set up his kingdom. Uh, this king beginning to set up, he's finally ready to go public. Uh, and this is the moment, this is the moment of Jesus. He starts, he, he starts to set up his great kingdom and he takes on John the Baptist's message uh, in verse 17. He, he says the same thing as John was saying, repent, turn around, change the direction of your life because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Except unlike John, he, Jesus isn't getting ready for the, for, uh, getting people ready for the king to come. Jesus is that king of the kingdom. This kingdom, this reign of God, uh, it's not a, it's not a place, it's not a political or social movement. Uh, that's why people in Jesus' own day misunderstood why he had come. They uh, thought he was come to uh, to bring a kind of political liberation from their Roman oppressors, um, come to make a temporary change in the current order of things. But the kingdom of heaven is so much bigger than that. Uh, it, it is present wherever God reigns, and that reign is all focused on Jesus, on this one person. The kingdom has come near in him and in what he has come to do. And and the rest of this chapter, it's like this foretaste of this kingdom that Jesus has come to set up. Um, it's like a summary of it, a preview of it. Uh, it that's going to get filled out over the, the next chapters as we read through Matthew's gospel. Jesus is going to go into a lot more detail about this kingdom that he has come to establish and to, to rule over. But here you get this kind of encapsulation, this summary, this um, preview 
And it is beautiful, isn't it? It's a kingdom of people who are so captivated by their king that when he calls them to follow him, they drop everything and, and follow his call. Uh, they uh, Following him has priority over everything else, even their livelihoods, even their family. It's a kingdom whose gate and it's a kingdom whose gates are wide open. Um, usually, when you're invited into a kind of special group, uh, we kind of work hard to maintain the boundaries, right? We t- work hard to maintain the distance between us who are in and those who are out. It gives us a kind of uh, the author C.S. Lewis talked about this um, desire for the inner ring. We keep wanting to be more and more on the inside. And that feel, our sort of sinful self has a good feeling when we're on the inside and others aren't. But this kingdom, well, it just turns that all on its head, doesn't it? Uh, the ones, the, the ones Jesus calls, uh, these disciples he calls, he tells them to throw their nets wide. Uh, instead of throwing their nets out into the sea to, to catch as many fish as they can, to throw their nets wide into the world welcoming as many as they can into this kingdom. This kingdom always has room for more. And the doors are always open for more. And and do you notice at the end of this chapter, citizenship in this kingdom is for all kinds of people, especially for those who, um, those who the world tends to forget about. The sick, those afflicted by evil forces, those whose bodies are broken by pain or paralysis, Jesus, these people flock to him and he opens the door to them. He heals them. Just as he had power over uh, uh, the devil and the forces of evil, he has power over the brokenness that flows out of that. It's important for us not to draw a straight line between the sickness that we endure here and personal sins. Jesus explicitly teaches against that. Uh, in John 9, you can look that up. But in the bigger picture, all suffering and sickness is, it is a symptom of this, this fall, this state we're in, and belongs to this kingdom of darkness, not the kingdom of light that Jesus is bringing in. Well, there's, uh, there's so many layers here, as I said, but uh, the news of this kingdom that Jesus he went out and proclaimed, that he was he embodied in himself, it, he, he started to set up this news that he proclaimed was good news. It was good news. It was so good. It was so wonderful that it just made total sense for these four fishermen to drop everything and, and jump on board. Um, it made total sense for large these large crowds of needy people to flock to Jesus. And friends, the news of this kingdom is just as good today. It's just as good today. Uh, it's not always easy. We're going to see that as we read through Matthew. Uh, Matthew shows Jesus' teaching that the way of discipleship way of following him is the way of the cross. Following this king means taking up your cross uh, and in fact losing your life. But Jesus promises this, whoever loses their life for his sake will find it, 
We'll find it because his kingdom really is the kingdom of light and of life. His kingdom is good. The news about his kingdom is good because he is good. He's so good. He offers what this world cannot. Living water, rest, overflowing grace. And friends, death still casts its shadow, doesn't it? Uh, Sickness and pain and evil still afflict this world and still afflict us. And I know some of us right now uh, feel that in ways that are overwhelming. But the good news of this chapter in Matthew, the good news of Matthew 4, is that what overwhelms us does not overwhelm our king. What overwhelms us does not overwhelm our king. He is stronger and his light has dawned. And the Bible tells us that when, that the dawn of Jesus' first coming will one day become the eternal noonday sun of his second coming. When all shadows will flee away, when the Lamb who is our light will wipe every tear from our eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, Because the old order of things, that old order of this world in slavery to evil and death, that old order has passed away. And the one seated on the throne says, I am making everything new. That's how the Bible ends. That's how the story of this world ends. So I just want to, friends, leave you with Jesus' call, actually. Jesus' call to repent to turn because his kingdom has come near to turn from yourself turn to him and turn to him because he is worthy he is good now turn from yourself he's worth following in every part of your life for every hour of your life until he returns or calls you home can i pray for us as we finish Thank you, our God, for King Jesus, this one who defeated Satan, who passed every test, who succeeds where we fail. Thank you for our King, our Captain, our Saviour, our Lord. Thank you, Lord, for um, these first disciples who saw something of who Jesus was and followed him with everything that they had. Give us something of that, we pray. Give us a, a renewed glimpse and a fresh grasp of the glory and goodness of our King Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that you might equip us to be his disciples, to follow him uh, with our eyes fixed on that day when he will return uh, and his kingdom will be all in all. So we thank you, our God. We thank you uh, for this glorious word to us in the gospel. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.